Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So you see that he's really struggling with this tremendously. So Romans 6 deals with sin. Romans 7 deals with I. Romans 8 will deal with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned at all in chapter 7? And when you remove the the knowledge and the usefulness of the Holy Spirit from your life. You can't take the Spirit out of your life, but when you remove yourself from the knowledge that it's there and the usefulness of the Spirit in your life, you will continually live that defeated life. So somewhere along the line, there's that loss of connectivity and releasing of the Holy Spirit's power and usefulness for you to have the victory. And you see that in this, and he's losing the battle because it's all about him, and he's trying to do good, but he can't accomplish it. And what a struggle that he had within him. If you will, just go to chapter 8, verse 2, just to see a little taste of what we're going to cover next week. I'm going to get you to lick the top of the the cupcake here. Verse verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now keep looking at your Bible, if you will, for just a moment. I'd like you to look one more time to see the law of sin mentioned in verse 23. Making me a prisoner of the law of sin. Go down to verse 25. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. I'm serving the law of flesh, the law of sin with my flesh. Then when you read verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit in Christ and me in Christ, the Holy Spirit altogether, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So next week again, I want to share with you the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, there's one more feeling or description that he has, and that is that he feels trapped. In other words, at the end of this expression of his, I feel that I've got a problem. I feel that I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I'm losing this battle. He now says, I am trapped. And look at how he expresses it in verse 24, just the first part of it. He says, wretched man that I am. And there's an exclamation point. Wretched man that I am. And then he asks the question, who will set me free from this body of this death? And the death is his physical body of death, but also the death of separation that comes from the ruling and reigning of sin in his life. All right, so what this law of sin that I'm having, who's going who's to rescue me? Who's going to snatch me away from that? How do I get out of all of this? I don't know anybody's mind at the moment that they commit suicide. What does baffle me would be Christians who purport all of their life that they were a blood-bought, born-again believer and maybe taught it, publicly confessed it, lived it, encouraged others to do that. And through some path of life, they come to a point where it's just too much and they commit suicide. I am not a psychologist and I don't know anyone's mind if at that moment that there was a chemical imbalance so severe that... They weren't in their right mind when they committed suicide. So it really wasn't a choice based on rational thinking that that Christian committed suicide. I I don't know. I do believe that we can come to a point that we wish we were dead, that we wish we weren't here, that we wish we would be delivered. And you could look at Christians who at sometimes with this battle 
and then the sin that comes from it when they're losing the battle that now becomes more complicated because you reap what you sow that their whole life is messed up financially and relationally and everything else that they get so broken they feel so alone so distant from the Lord that it's not God's problem any longer he gave that person the spirit he gave them the word of God he surrounded them hopefully with other Christians but for whatever reason this person made so many choices that brings them to a point and at the end life now what I can tell you I can understand through scripture that you probably could come to that point it is never God's solution. If you trusted Christ as Savior and you committed suicide, the bigger question is, would you still go to heaven? Can a Christian commit suicide? I believe the answer is yes, a Christian can commit suicide. Can he still go to heaven? If he authentically trusted Christ as his Savior, now this is my opinion the way I, I rest on this truth until I'm taught otherwise, so I'm not really wrestling with it, that that person, he's still going to heaven. The questions that we have to ask ourselves goes back to soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. What is suicide? What is it? It's murder. It's a hyenas murder because it's a murder of yourself. And if you murder yourself, that's a horrible sin. So now my question is, is when Jesus died, did he only die for the little sins? Did he only die for the big sin? Did he die for all sin? And if he died for all sin, did the payment even for the sin of suicide was it paid for I, I believe it was whatever it brought the person to the point of suicide even wrong choices that law of sin in his members a person's members as a Christian could bring him to that ultimate point of expiring all those sins that led up to a final give up and no more hope I don't believe a person commits suicide so much because they're not loved I believe they commit suicide because they see no more hope in the future and it's just hopeless and the pain's too great Got their eyes off the Lord. Jesus paid for all those sins. So can a Christian authentically, truly trust Christ as Savior, commit suicide, and go to heaven? Now, you've got to stay with me, and I know this is being taped. I would also like to say that there are many who have professed Christ for a long time, but have never genuinely possessed Christ. So that means that that person may not have really trusted Christ to start with. So comes all the way back to the point, we really don't know what was going on in their mind. We really genuinely can't fully, 100% sure know if that person has trusted Christ as Savior. Watch this. The Lord knows those who are His. He didn't say the Lord and anybody else He picks out can know. All we know is what they tell us. So we really don't know if they've trusted Christ as Savior. So now where does that leave us? Because perhaps there are some teenagers that are listening to this message right now and you have the highest um, statistical rate of committing suicide than probably anyone else. We're hearing that there are a lot of statistics in the military of people committing suicide. Now, I'm, I'm parking on this only because, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this? And that is um, God never sanctions, endorses, encourages suicide in any way. A practical way to say that is this. You don't want to stand before God one second sooner than God wants you to stand before him. So that's why I will give my life, if I can, to do all the suicide prevention of people that I know that I can help with. Anyone that is anywhere near death of any kind, I would want to extend their life as long as I possibly could. Because God is the author of life and he has the right to take life and we don't have the right to take our own. I would also like to hasten to say that within the Christian 
community and family. There are not only individuals that can help you that are listening to me that feel so hopeless, oh, wretched person that you are, that you say you are, you feel you are like Paul then identified with, that will help you navigate through those times of more than discouragement. You are in despair. You're in despondency. And I want you to know that I promise you that there is hope and a way to navigate in some measure out of that so that the clouds begin to drift away and that no matter what you're going through, it does not necessarily mean your problems will go away. But you can, within those problems, have the sense of an almighty God that will be there to hold you and to love you and in many ways lighten the load that you're going through. And that's what he said, O wretched man that I am. Now stay with me. Who is going to deliver me? That's the question. But now, what's the solution? Continue on, if you will, in the very passage. He asked the question, almost rhetorically, who will set me free from the body of this death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's the solution? Is Jesus Christ our Lord. So I thank God, and I recognize God. I'm not separating God and Jesus Christ as like dividing up the Trinity or something. But we are saying that it's God through Christ that provides me this hope. And I'll go to the last sentence in just a moment. So I want you to know that there is tremendous hope in Jesus Christ. Now some of you might shout back, but I tried Christ, he doesn't work. It does not work, and therefore I still feel like I'm in bondage and I'm not going to be able to survive through all of this. He doesn't work. I would like to submit to you the possibilities that, number one, the Jesus Christ that you say doesn't work for you is not the Jesus Christ of God's Word. Somewhere along the line, you um, received uh, either incorrect teaching or in unclear teaching, and somewhere in there, you don't have the Christ of the Bible. Because I rest on the authority of God's word. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Jesus Christ our Lord, and he can do this. So something is wrong, and the problem isn't with Christ, and maybe you are the result of a problem, and the deeper problem is an incorrect knowledge of who Christ is. And so I would say, hold out hope. Get alongside someone who will accurately, lovingly, and patiently pray with you and take you through Scripture to show you the mind of Christ as you go through the issues that you have. There is hope. Now, beyond the total despair part of this, I want you to know that whatever struggles that you're having, you don't have to get under those struggles. You don't have to get under sin, all right? You can be above them. It doesn't mean that you'll never have struggles but it does mean that your struggles are winnable and we'll be covering that. So now we need to go a little bit further in understanding about this and I hope this might help you as well. So continue on in the passage. We talked about what's the solution. If I go through chapter 7, there are three lessons that we can learn. There are probably a lot more, but I'm going to give you three lessons. What, what lessons can be learned from the entire chapter? Number one is we have two natures. You need to park on that, that these two natures are in conflict with one another. So you have two natures, and that's why you're having the struggle. Number two, your will, that means you can will, 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 is powerless to change your old nature. If you want to, you can look up here. I remember I started the message. My right arm represented the old nature. My left arm represented the new nature. My old nature over here, I cannot will this old nature to become a better nature. It's always going to be in a struggle. It's always going to be adverse to God. I do have a new nature, New nature comes from the Lord. It desires the Lord. And as I strengthen the inner man through yielding to the word, abiding in the word, accurately knowing who the Lord is, I take this new man here. I'm not improving it. 
I'm just strengthening it, then I begin to have the victory that God wants me to have. So again, we have two natures, and our own will is not going to help our old nature. Our will is to be used to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Number three, the only deliverance is through the power of Jesus Christ. Our only deliverance is through the power of Christ. Now put a star by that one. We talked about the two natures. I get all that. You know the struggle that we have with those natures. But I want you to really park on the fact that you have a power source in you that no unbeliever ever has. So now let's go back. When we had a counseling center in San Antonio, it was called the Christian Counseling Center. It was the uh, second oldest Christian counseling center in San Antonio, but it happened to be the largest, and I hired a lot of counselors. But as I was vetting out the counselors, I wanted to make sure of one thing, that I wasn't hiring on our staff, and we had lady counselors for women, we had children's counselors, not children to counsel children, but children, adults to counsel children, we had guides and all that. When I did it, I did not want to hire Christians who counseled. I wanted to hire Christians who would provide Bible-based counseling. Now, that is not to say that when there's a chemical imbalance, a physiological problem, that you might not need special assistance for that. You'd need to have special, and I, 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 I hope you would get that. The purpose of that is to help maybe clear the fog away, clean the lens on your glasses and your ears, so then you could hear the biblical counseling that God has for you because there's power in the word. The scripture says, thy word are my counselors. Jesus Christ is referred to as not just counselor, he's referred to as the wonderful counselor. So as I allow the Holy Spirit Christ use the word in a person's life, we can get help if that person is properly trained in the word as well as in the nature of people lost and saved. Now, stay with me. In the course of counseling with those people, I wanted to make sure that our counselors knew as much as they want to help people that are struggling that are out there, even so-called Christians, that the bottom line of all of that is to get into the conversation as comfortably and as soon as reasonably possible would be to make sure they've trusted Christ the Savior. Because if not, you're going to give a lot of good biblical principles on people who only have an old nature that they cannot change until they've trusted Christ as Savior to now have within them a new nature, watch this, and the Holy Spirit for the power source in which to make the mental changes that will give them the attitudinal changes that will change their activities in their life or their behavioral changes. So I wanted to make sure that they were also committed to making sure people came to faith in Christ who would be in the counseling chair with them in the process of doing this. Now I'm giving you a very capsulized portion in this because we're based on this passage right here. So the only deliverance is through Christ. Now let me give you perhaps some applications that might be of helpful to you. How do, how do I handle this battle that I've got going on inside of me? These will go quickly. There's three, if you only want to remember three, they're general, they're very powerful, but there's five embedded in here. So let me go over these and then we'll be out of here. All right, number one, the big umbrella would be, it's not in your notes, write it in the side, would be you got to be real. If you're struggling with this right here, I want you to own up to it. I don't want you to keep fighting this thing and thinking that this is how it's always got to be. No, it doesn't always have to be this way where you're constantly feeling defeated and always this battle going on to the point that uh, the joy is now gone out of your life. So be real. So number one, admit that you're confused. Say, you know, I don't know what's going on inside of me. Admit that you're confused. Paul did that in verses 15 and 16. We covered those. Now for you, now you don't have to be as confused. If I asked you to raise your hand today to say, how many of you now understand a little bit more about this struggle you have, I think we'd have a lot of hands. So 
Maybe you could say, I am confused, but I'm not as confused as I was before. But admit that this is a little confusing. This is a tough passage of Scripture. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of little parsing of phrases and words and tenses and all of that. Number two, under be real. Try to accept your own imperfections. Try to accept your own imperfections. But don't approve of them. Just accept them. The third is, to be real, is leave room for failure. Leave room for failure. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that um, leave room for failure. All right, I failed again. Give me another five. You know, no, no, no. Leave room for failure means that when you fail, don't get so despondent. Don't get so discouraged. Deal with it. Maybe I could say it this way. It's a lot different when you're riding a skateboard and you fall off the skateboard and you get back on the skateboard and you keep going than it is if you take your skateboard, get off your skateboard, put it in the, the garage and walk away just because you fell. So the point of the matter is, hey, I failed. I know I did this and I don't want to fail. And I see now how fragile and how um, the, the easiness that I have to fail. So I'm going to leave room for that, and at the same time, I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm going to do what it takes to not fail so much the next time. All right, so be real. The second, and there are five of these, but now we're going to give you one, seek God. We talked a lot about looking at yourself. You've got to be real. You've got to humble yourself. But then now it's not just looking at yourself, because if you look too much at yourself, it's like Pogo said, you know, we found the enemy, and it's us, okay, and then we quit. No, I, I, I got these issues, but I'm going to deal with it. So then you want to admit your true feelings to God. Say, Lord, this is what I deal with. I deal with moral impurity, or I deal with greed, I deal with bitterness, I deal with anger, I deal with temper, I deal with um, uh, inappropriate use of my time, I, 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 I deal with uh, um, gossip in my life, I deal with criticism, uh, whatever it might be. You then say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. And now watch this. I'd encourage you to journal. Begin to journal. Say, Lord, I struggle with this. Today I did this. Today this happened. Here's what I'm going to work on. Begin to journalize it. In a sense, when you read this autobiography, it was as if Paul was journalizing. Now we know, if we studied Romans at the beginning, that he didn't write Romans. He dictated it to someone else. And, and that dictation that he got from God to him to, hit, to that other person, that person wrote it. But it was as if he was journalizing by dictating it to someone else. Similar would be some of you have your computer and you have such a, a software in it that you can talk into your computer and it will do the typing for you. How many have heard that kind of program before? Would you raise your hand if you've heard that? Okay, that's like what he was doing. He was journalizing by speaking this out. You're going to journalize whatever works for you what God is doing in your life and what you're struggling with and then give God the glory through it. And here's the last and I will end with this and that is trust Christ. Be real, seek God and then trust Christ. And the point I have here is don't depend on rules, resolutions for your salvation. Although this isn't talking about salvation in Romans 7 but the overall truth is you don't want to depend upon any of those for your salvation but also not for your Christian life. There are some of those that say, I know it's uh, by faith alone in Christ, but now I need to work, 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 either to keep my salvation or uh, not to lose it or something. So many people think that they have to depend on rules, rituals, regulations to become a Christian, or they think that they have to keep doing those things to remain a Christian. And then you have those that say, 
you know what? I need to make my list after I've trusted Christ as Savior what I need to do and then force myself to do it. This afternoon, we're going to be teaching spiritual life development here, spiritual maturity. There will be some practical things of how do you read the scriptures and what are ways to pray, what are some of the guidelines in scripture. Those aren't rules and regulations. Those are just practical things that we do. Now, doing those things, watch this, listen to this carefully. Doing these things will not necessarily make you spiritual. But not doing anything won't make you spiritual. So you have to do something. So find something that you'll do, not depending on those things, but on Christ and the Spirit to bring those things out in you. And that's how it's all going to be done. Well, folks, we had a, a long session today. I hope it was helpful to you. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you for just a moment, because we are bringing this entire service to a close, to give God time in your life right now, like the candle going into the very recesses of your mind, of your soul and your spirit, and perhaps revealing to you your greatest need. And for some of you, that spirit, like a candle, is illuminating the fact that you are still without Christ. You know him, you hear him, you want to love him, you want to do things for him, but you're without him because you haven't placed your faith alone in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says it's coming to him by faith that you now have eternal life. And it's faith in him. So I'm asking you today that you would respond to the Holy Spirit's revelation to you that you're a sinner. That you'll be judged for that sin and the unbelief that you have. And fix it not by being righteous, by good works, but by simply accepting Christ at his word when he says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. So you're believing Christ and you're believing in him in a sense. You're trusting in him as the one who said he would do what he did. Forgive you of all sin. And maybe others, the spirit of God is going to the recesses of your mind because you thought that by doing something, this will keep you saved. And you're wondering, why do you still have this empty feeling? Because if you have to do something to stay saved, then I don't believe that you really were saved to start with. Because you went into this thing thinking that there was a certain amount of human effort. And Jesus says the only thing that pleases him is faith. The Lord says that. The word of God says that. We can only please him by faith. So you've got to place your faith in Christ. And once you've done that, the spirit comes inside of you. You have a new nature. You'll never lose that new nature. The spirit of God will never leave you. You'll still have the problem, the, the, the conflict. But you have everlasting life. Would there anyone be here today that would want to trust Christ as their Savior now to respond to the Spirit's calling? It's conviction, we might say. You can't make a mistake, so there's no little prayer that you pray. There's no little formula that you, you have to follow to become a Christian. There is, though, this transaction that goes on from whatever you were trusting in before to get you to heaven into Christ. And for some of you, you might say, I wasn't trusting anything. I was just going through life. You still need to have that transference. You've got to now place your faith in Christ. There is a willful believing in Christ. Some call it a commitment. Some will say call upon the name. But there is that where you're going to Christ knowing that he's the Savior and that he's saving you because he is the Lord God Almighty who died and rose again in Christ. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come to you totally humble and be real. And Father, you take pleasure in that 
We're not trying to cover up and mask stuff when we know you can see it already in our hearts. And so, Lord, we know we can come to you because you love us and your mercy and grace just is a part of who you are. And so we can come and be real before you. We thank you that, Father, that even though we come before you real, and it's still admitting that part of you comes with judgment, and if we don't know you, it's Savior condemnation. We still can be safe because when we seek you, Father, you will reveal yourself through the word and that we can have our sins forgiven in a home in heaven and now know, as Romans 8 says in verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So, Lord, now we just bask in your goodness. And then, Father, we come to you and we trust you to live your life out through us as we have these struggles because we are more than conquerors in you. Bless these dear, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends, as we go out this week living the Christian life in spite of the battle by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. In your name we pray, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.